0: Hey everyone and welcome to Human Centered brought to you by VML Y&R. I'm Nick Brunker, Director of Experience Strategy and your host for the show. Thanks for dialing us up. On every episode of Human Centered, we explore how brands both large and small are creating meaningful customer experiences and discuss how professionals like you can tap into CX best practices to create value and gain traction in transforming your business. On today's episode, we're gonna share how you can build a compelling ROI case to lead CX transformation with your business, brands, and clients, and the building blocks needed to tell the right story. To do that, I'm so pumped to be joined today by a fellow Cincinnatian and managing director of our advisory practice, Colin McDowell. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Nick, appreciate you having me. Before we dive in, we'd love for you to share a little bit more about your career path to where you are today and what keeps you busy.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, again, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, looking forward to getting into the topic a little bit more, but uh, just to frame up myself a little bit here. Uh, so I have, uh, I guess you could call it somewhat of a unique background within the, you know, quote, marketing and agency world. I, uh, you know, don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, probably likely one of only a handful uh, within definitely VML, YNR, maybe even WPP as a whole, who actually started out their career in uh, in the corporate finance world. So, uh, you know, it's actually been something that i uh, I've realized over the course of my tenure within the agency world that has given me a little bit of a unique perspective across what is I guess our traditionally creative and innovation and then technology driven business. And so um, it's kind of a little bit about like the DNA of how I'm built and where I came from. And you know within that, you know what comes naturally to me are things like you know optimizing P&Ls and driving capital efficiencies, you know for for you know the the the, the corporate finance side of the world. Um, but you know I really you know as I kind of got into that that part of my career started to just look for a, a, you know, broader challenge really, I think was, was the the goal for, for me. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, at some point along my career, uh, decided it was time to, to move into more of an agency like, uh, environment. And I joined a company called Rockfish Digital, um, startup sized agency at the time, ultimately became one of the top innovation agencies within the US. And my focus there was really on driving, you know, marketing technology and experience like innovation for Fortune 100 B2B and, and B2C companies. And so um, it got my start into the agency world, kind of building and growing an agency alongside some really smart folks. And then, uh, you know, at some point down the line, VML, uh, YNR and Rockfish joined forces. And that was when I was given the opportunity to shift focus to really just accelerating a, a, the advisory group that existed within VML Linear when I came in and so a lot of what we do is consult clients on growth acceleration you know looking at transformative customer and brand experiences what that means for their business their operating models all that fun stuff and so it's been uh, quite a journey uh, and it's, it's been really really fun to uh, to to watch all of these different companies grow uh, alongside me as I, as I've uh, as I've taken on uh, different opportunities here and there
0: well and if you even think about the last 5 years things have accelerated so quickly the pandemic of course the cat Part of that, but it just generally, the way business is done, shifting from what we've talked about in the past as like the awareness era to the engagement era to now the experience era, the the work that you do, and obviously the work that you help um, clients do when you work with them, that's changed drastically even over the last five or seven years. That's kind of been pretty interesting for you as you've you've kind of shifted your your work over the years too.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's been uh, you know honestly one of the catalysts to getting into more of a, a digitally type of of uh, you know enabled work environment was around the uh, the invention of the iPhone. I think everybody took that as an opportunity to say, wait a minute, text message marketing all of a sudden got a whole lot more exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should we be doing to drive more always on types of experiences with customers that create relevance as opposed to noise? And that paired with data just gave us the ability to do some really interesting things that weren't happening in the corporate finance side of the world. You know, no knock on that group, but uh, mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity to, to to push into new spaces for me personally, and so yeah no it's been really interesting and to your point as things have kind of evolved over the last several years the last year has been really interesting as well for i think everybody um you know myself personally you know outside of my day-to-day i've got a uh, family of uh, four my wife and i have two daughters and uh it's always an adventure, right, <laughs> especially within the yeah. uh, the environment yeah. of trying to figure out how to be a teacher alongside a professional, alongside, you know, a daycare uh, provider and all that fun stuff. And so definitely always an adventure. And that's kind of a little bit about, you know, who I am as a person, just seeking out adventure and looking for any opportunity to be out there in some some environment that's interesting where I can get some adrenaline pumping. Sign me up.
0: That's, well, there, that's there's plenty of, of that <laughs> in, in today's world, not only being a full time parent, but as, as CX transformation goes, it it is. Definitely frenetic, that's for sure. Colin, the value of CX transformation is well-documented across numerous industries. For example, Forrester estimates for a general retailer that just a one-point improvement in a CX index score equates to more than half a billion dollars in incremental annual revenue for the company. While not all industries are that staggering, the impact is still the multi-millions of dollars on average. Yet, when you look at CX maturity levels in aggregate, the vast majority would be considered at the beginner level. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, it's a good question. I, I mean, I think you know, generally speaking, I just I like to simplify things the, as much as I can. So you'll see that as a theme maybe throughout our conversation. But uh, just kind of you know, rationalizing it against something like laws of motion, right? Uh, large objects, that are in this case, organizations, stay in motion unless some outside force acts upon them. And so, you know, the larger the object, the larger the force needed to create some measurable change in velocity. And that's that's true for I think a lot of really big organizations. Short-term pressure Tend to win out, honestly, in, in most a- attention of, of executives, and you know whether that be things like global economics and, and you know uh, edge case scenarios, uh, supply chain shortages, you know, obviously shareholder pressures, etc. You know the promises of future downstream growth that CX can provide it really sometimes unfortunately isn't enough of a nudge to change the velocity of an organization. Um, when you look at some, you know, companies that are maybe doing this really, really well uh, or have higher levels of CX maturity, I would say they tend to be, you know, I'm a little biased in this, but they tend to be obviously a little bit younger, more agile, a little bit more lean, and, and you know, a lot of them were designed from the inside out with mm-hmm. customer-centric business models, and so, um, you know, some of these industrial incumbents are finding it, I think. You know, over the last ten years, that this is uh, this is a space that becomes not only a, a mandatory uh, for for the future, but is also starting to be you know something that they've got to they've got to compete in today. Where you know traditionally they may have relied on scale through things like supply chain, logistics, all those sort of things. Um, you know, as, as certain industries start to commoditize, the, the experience is becoming now essential to current business as opposed to future business. And so, I guess there's your, if you will, burning platform for for transformation right there. <laughs>
0: (laughs) And it is an investment. And I think part of the the tough part is to be able to, as we talk about on this episode, craft that story for executives and essentially asking for budget. What are some things to have in mind as you figuratively set the table for building that strong case?
1: Yeah, great question. Lots of things uh, probably go into that. I mean, maybe easiest to just start with the way, the wrong way to pursue capital investment from leadership. And that would probably be just simply saying, you know, something like, hey, boss, I need $2 Two million dollars for a CX project. Um, so, so that let's just start with the wrong way. Um, probably, likely the best <laughs> way would really be. Um, you know, framing up like the, the the ask ultimately in meaningful business and customer value. So if you if you try to frame up your your proposal, your recommendation in one of those, you tend to miss out on a big opportunity and and key you know way to describe the value equation. And so it's good to keep in mind also as you do this that, you know, you're competing with others for an often finite pool of cap and opex funds. And so again, just thinking about ways to keep this simple, uh, I often kind of just look at uh, at the one sentence business case as being the way to not get caught up in assumptions, interrogation, and that sort of thing. And so again, the more simple you can make it, the better. And so an example of a one-sentence business case would be something like, we propose to do X you know, a customer benefit, right? In order to create an ep- economic benefit of Y, some sort of business benefit uh, at the cost of Z, uh, your request, you know, ultimately for resources being the last part. And if done right, that can actually honestly carry 90% of an investment pitch to to leadership as you think about trying to lay out the different pieces you'd need to, to be able to have this really meaningful
0: conversation around a budget and a growth uh, initiative that you have in mind. Being able to articulate the human benefits and potential upside is obviously a crucial element, but how can listeners answer the ever-common question of when will I start seeing ROI?
1: Yeah. Awesome question again. And I think honestly, it's, it's probably in, in, in just built into all of us. I mean, my seven-year-old, if she were to give me a (laughs) dollar, she'd expect immediate return on that dollar. And so I think, you know, it's just something we have to, to, to figure out as, as we grow in our careers. And honestly, it's a tough question to answer because every business case is different and, you know, what you're trying to achieve tends to be different. I think the, uh, the important thing just in my mind is to reframe what we mean by you know ROI so instead of saying like when are we going to see ROI making sure that we have a common taxonomy around the definition of what success is. And that often doesn't exist within within organizations, especially as you're, as you're looking to pitch things that are cross, cross divisions, cross business organizations, and those sorts of things. And so you know it becomes critical that organizational leaders start to see solving customer pain points, you know, essentially as synonymous with delivering ROI as a taxonomy for for defining success. And so that type of mindset helps to stop, you know, having the siloed conversation about measurement and incentives and all those things and creates a unanimous agreement around you know hey solving customer pain points actually delivers roi we have a formula that says that that's true now let's start asking ourselves how many customer pain points have we resolved instead of what's uh, you know how, how many points up has revenue or demand or dri- you know jumped in in a day-to-day period and so then we can start to measure business outcome through metrics that are, you know, impacted by solving customer pain points. But again, I think it's just really around, you know, changing the dialogue. So having a good discussion instead of uh, when do I see my dollar back with my seven year old, it's it's more in the mindset of, uh, <laughs> you know, what, let's talk about the benefits you're getting for, for the dollar over the period of time and that sort of thing. So.
0: And I mean, you touched on a little bit of it, too, like a couple of examples around the, the common KPIs, but I think rallying around the you know, shared vision of like what is success you know what gets measured gets done what are the ones that if you're just starting out in this process building up kind of your um, acumen in this area uh, should they have in mind kpi wise in the back of their mind that is when they start to to craft the story for executives
1: yeah i think so good uh it does vary and in my mindset there's a broad spectrum of you know kpis and success metrics across like a number of different ways to think about the business and customer solutions and so i, I admittedly struggle with that struggled with this early on in my my career. And just because there are so many different ways to classify success, you, you kind of get into this mindset of, you know, do I have to speak the language of this executive? Do I have to appeal to this executive by having these types of metrics? And really the best way that I've found is just kind of start to, to lay it out in a placemat and categorize the different types of things you want to see improve. And so I, I look at them in, in three big buckets and these are kind of industry, um, you know, just uh, best practices, if you will, around uh, how to classify metrics. But really the, the first is interaction metrics and these are the most familiar ones I think to, to most people because they're generally operationally focused so things like you know handle time and service downtime, uh, you know how long I'm without my thing that you've sold me those sorts mm-hmm. of things repeat calls you know that's just an easy area to start to understand what metrics might be within the scope of the initiative that, that we're, we're pushing forward um, so that's one territory the next would be perception metrics so you know the, these often honestly when in the, the engagements that I've been involved in are the most unfamiliar uh, to, to individuals because they actually require organizations to ask really uncomfortable questions of themselves. So things like, you know, how satisfied are my customers really? Like how easy is it to actually do business with us? The, those types of questions aren't really popular because they start to shine a big uh, spotlight on on potential deficiencies within the organization. But you know, critical if you're thinking about CX transformation or or that type of capability. A last area is really just outcome metrics, and so um, you know, to me, this is synonymous with like rebranded loyalty metrics, if you will. So um, things that are tended to be linked to, you know, product portfolio penetration, customer advocacy, those types of things. So at the outcome of our relationship, what is this customer able to do on behalf of themselves on my brand, et cetera? And that, so, so you know, three big categories, and all of them are important and ultimately should be evaluated and explored um, to, as far as what to have in the back back of your mind. I think, you know, filtering those through things like, who is the audience of what I'm trying to, to to push forward? You know, what are they, what, you know, how do we think about, you know, success in their mindset, but ultimately making sure that the human or the customer problems come first, hmm. uh, because it's really easy for people to get behind a story where you can empathize with an illustrative individual, as opposed to uh, making, you know, numbers on a slide, you know, that human side really is, is a metric that that is powerful in itself.
0: So as you think about the missteps, you mentioned one earlier where like coming at it saying, I need this money. Obviously, I would imagine few people are going to go into their executive's office and just ask for it. What would you say are are the common missteps um, that our listeners should keep in mind when building this and and other parts of the narrative?
1: so the biggest uh, hazard, I guess I would identify, would be a misaligned view of success. You know, if you haven't done the legwork to Unsilo organizations, you know, make sure that you've addressed competing PLs. You know, those types of things will kill a business case before it's even presented for leadership approval. Like it won't even make the cut because you don't have the right vision that drives customer benefit and is then pushed down into organizational benefits you know so there's not that common view of taxonomy and kind of going back to the one sentence business case if you will you know the quote for an economic benefit of why that has to resonate with all of the different stakeholders you know you know not only everyone in the room that you're presenting to but at the end of the day everyone who will need to contribute some resource or some brain power to your mm-hmm. initiative and so definitely critical to make sure like if you do nothing else, having that, you, you know, unilateral understanding of success that everyone can get behind is probably the biggest, uh, you know, misstep I've seen organizations make as they pursue you know capital investments for CX.
0: Another challenge I would, I would bet is, uh, you alluded to it with all the different stakeholders in the game. There are a lot of different opinions on what is priority. Is it in relation to being able to articulate that we all have to kind of have a shared vision because the CEO and CFO and you know the C-suite's going to have have an opinion on things but as you cascade that down through the organization it's got to be critically important to be able to, to kind of swim in the same direction. So everybody's working towards the same shared priorities, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I, you know, and, and the more senior leadership support you can get in driving that vision, the better, it's easier to push the boulder down the hill than it is up the hill. So the more you can kind of communicate a vision back that's rooted in the brand strategy at the end of the day, right? What is the customer experience strategy that enables the, the what you say as a brand is really incredibly important and making sure that you know, you have that, support across the organization to be able to kind of drive that down is 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 definitely critical and so some organizations are more mature at that than others um but uh you know it, it kind of is a, a case by case uh but to your point very critical as a part of the the puzzle
0: and we talked about the maturity model earlier and when you look at the data for cx culture that is a system of shared values behaviors that employees at all levels of the organization can focus on more than eight and ten in this most recent report from Forrester rank as beginners which is still shocking to me uh, that uh, after all these years, you know, kind of moving towards the experience there, people rank themselves that that low based on the activities they're doing. Uh, this would seem to suggest that part of the investment is literally, like you said, people-based. That is giving people the right tools and training to deliver on the vision. So that some of the, the financials obviously have to play into, you know, potentially process and tech, but you're also having to invest in, in training. How important is it not only to sell the story to executives, but broadly across the organization as kind of a, a people investment too.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it critically important. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, most CX initiatives require, every aspect of the organization to collaborate in some capacity. And so, you know, it's one thing for the executive leadership team to to shout that from from the the top down, but it's another thing to make sure that you have not only just the right tools and training in place for the organization, but at the end of the day, the right incentive structure, you know, to make sure that you're incentivizing the right behavior. And that doesn't necessarily just mean monetary incentives, right? That, that could mean cultural incentives, like, you know, rewarding failure. You know, failure can be a good thing. And and, and a lot of the more nimble, agile, uh, you know, human centered organizations have those types of cultures from, you know, innately built in from their inception. And so, you know, honestly, based on my experience with with larger organizations, every CX like engagement really at some point or another uncovers opportunities for some organizational optimization. And it could be could be vast in that, you know, you have, you know, digital doesn't ever speak to marketing type of uh, rifts, or it could just be nuanced things where it's just literally processes where people don't know each other across the organization, because maybe it's. Just too big, so competing initiatives start to to pop up, uh, creating customer confusion. But you know these these you know it could be process related, talent related, operations related. You know sometimes honestly it could be business model related. You know the business model you have is unfortunately uh, against the the benefit of your customer. And so we've had that conversation a, a couple of times with a few different industries. But um, you know at the end of the day, a lot of uh, I guess CX transformations actually you know, maybe not shockingly, uh, start within transformative spaces within organizations. So, you know, that might be a new category or a new audience expansion, new vertical, and maybe you acquire a new company. And so, it gives you this, like, test lab, if you will, for innovation. And that can include, you know, your, your mindset, which I would consider CX kind of an operating mindset of an organization. And so, You know, these types of initiatives, you know, those those kind of lean and and agile initiatives within organizations are great test labs for both CX and CX like culture transformation. And so you can then use those types of things as organizations, those lab like environments to ultimately become marketing material that back to the broader organization to push then for adoption. With not just leadership, but others within the organization to show literally this does work. We've proven it not just in theory, but within the four walls of our own company.
0: Does it work more effectively or is it just another tool in the toolkit to kind of start with? in your experience telling stories through small moments i mean we've talked about how very difficult it is especially for for long tenured companies to to kind of move the titanic so to speak how important is it to show when you're you are investing in these things you're starting to kind of move the needle that you're showcasing the you know the small wins that kind of lead to the larger wins
1: no executive or really any organization is going to support a, an initiative that takes 5 years to pay out any kind of a return right not even even not just from a financial standpoint, but from a motivation standpoint, right? You have to be able to prove and show marginal and incremental wins along the way. And so, you know, that's definitely an area where, you know, it it comes down to to making sure again, going back to the taxonomy of what you consider success, showing that you're making critical success in, you know, customer and human terms against things that are solving real pain points for people. And that's pretty easy, pretty quickly within most organizations. If you starting to get into some of those kind of perception-based metrics we were talking about earlier. So, you know, how easy is it to do business with us? You can uncover very quickly some very just, you know, not just low hanging fruit, but like literally on the ground rotting, like you know, <laughs> ready to go fruit that, that you should have solved for yesterday because you just framed things up in a way that makes you empathize with a customer in, in a way that it's just, you know, completely accepted by the organization because it's in the DNA of what your company, your brand promise really is. And so those types of things come out as really quick wins and a longer tail of trans-
0: The other thing that we get asked about a lot, and it it goes back to knowing that there are problems to solve, like you said, shining the light on things that that may not necessarily bode well the way things look for your company at current, but being willing to to have those tough conversations, you might uncover that there are a lot of things that you got to solve, maybe a lot of low-hanging fruit, maybe a lot of the things that, to, to your example, are rotting on the ground. You know there are going to come times where you have to start to prioritize which story are you going to tell your executives in order to take that first step? What's the first story that you're gonna to prioritize to move the meter and start that journey? How does one prioritize which of the stories you think will resonate when you're trying to get the budget you need, the investment, the need, the support you need to, to start moving the ball?
1: In most simplest terms possible, uh, the best way to, to answer that would be, again, just kind of looking at it from three different angles. Uh, the first is customer benefit. So are we solving the biggest pain points for our customers as determined by research and you know, all the, the the things that would substantiate that, right? That how, how are we prioritizing the customer pain points we're solving for? The second area would be how much business value does solving that customer pain point create? So kind of you know intentionally inverting the, the, the business and customer impact, because we wanna make sure at the end of the day, customer benefit is, is what we lead this conversation with. And so then the last piece really is how hard is it to achieve whatever that thing is. And so we may come out of a you know transformation like plan with 30 different really big initiatives that need to be done. Clearly, they all can't be done at the same time. But by prioritizing and looking at which ones create the most business value, customer value, uh, and ultimately uh, are the easiest to accomplish are the ones that would get prioritized to, for, for immediate action. And those are, you know as you think about going back up to the, the discussion we were having earlier around ROI and when do I get, quote, ROI that's a good way to start to show quick wins uh, through that assessment of, you know, how hard is the feasibility of some of the things we're trying to achieve. And unfortunately, sometimes the the, the difficulty and feasibility isn't it's technically difficult. It's uh, it's it might be to the conversation we were just having culturally difficult. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of those things you can elevate to senior leaders within an organization to help advocate for on your behalf and really, truly become some of the the success stories of how organizations have brought groups together on behalf of customers to then accelerate both
0: business and, and, and customer experience. Super, super interesting. Colin, before we wrap up, I want to kind of go off the beaten path and talk less about business, more about you and your hobbies and the things that, that keep you busy when you're off the clock. You said you're, you're the father of two girls, and obviously that in itself is enough to keep you busy, but what kind of things uh, do you get into after hours?
1: Yeah, I have uh, I have way too many hobbies, <laughs> Nick, I think <laughs> is the answer to that question. Uh, adventure and travel, uh, drumming, music, all things Jeeps. Uh, sorry to any of our automotive clients, but I've been a Jeep <laughs> lifer. Um, and uh, snow sports. Or it's you name it, right? Uh, just, I just, I love, again, anything that's kind of adrenaline focused is is really a, a great reprieve from from my, my day-to-day uh, life. But, uh, you know, honestly, I think one of the things like the ultimate hobby is just exposing my kids to those types of things. And, and you know, just the more I can share with them, the better. I mean, I had just, it, throughout the past year, it's been a really interesting year, but just two kind of random proud dad moments that pop out where, you know, one, watching my uh, seven-year-old daughter air it out in the terrain park at our local ski hill and actually get a little <laughs> nervous about the amount of air she had underneath her, but she came up just like all smiles. And then the second was uh, watching her keep pretty much a good four, four beat on my drum kit. So that, you know, really, you know, at least I'm doing something right. in, that's in the a department that they're picking up these types of things. So yep. anyway, too many hobbies would probably likely be, be my thing. I'm, I'm not an expert in any of them. I just like to dabble in all of them, I
0: guess is a good way to say it. <laughs> and how fun is it that you're able to kind of share those, those types of passions? Like that's got to be just the coolest thing, and I and I'm pushing forty, and I don't know how to drum. So she's already got me beat by about three x.
1: <laughs> well, Nick, we'll have to work on that. It's pretty, it's uh, it's not as hard as you think.
0: All right. Well, Never
1: too late to start.
0: <laughs> I, I may I may accept your challenge. We shall see. Great stuff again today, Colin. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been been a good discussion.
0: And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about our CX practice and our approach to the work, check us out online at dmlyrcom slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or shoot us an email, the address, is human-centered at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.